Hello and a very warm welcome to episode 172 of the NFL Scotland podcast. It's going to be a cracker. Why? Well, we've got rid of Cameron for the week. What can I say? I'm delighted to be joined for this episode by the man who's recently returned from Baltimore. Gordon McGuinness is alongside me for this episode. Gordon, how's the jet lag? It's doing okay, actually. I've, I've recovered nicely and I'm Glad to say, like, Taysom Hill, I've been promoted to starter in the podcast this week. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll have more success than Taysom Hill might enjoy. <laughs> At least I get Thursday night football out the way this week. Talking of, uh, of quarterbacks who haven't been playing, Lamar Jackson wasn't quite your man the other night. He was not. I mean, he said it himself. He said uh, he looked like a rookie. Um, the Ravens were just incredibly fortunate that he was bad, but the Browns' offense was worse because um, that was... Not the type of game they should have won. Uh, it was very much one they got away with. So uh, hopefully you can get that fixed this week. So let's start by having a little chat about the, the Thanksgiving games. Now, I, I'd argued on the pod last week that it was going to be a very interesting game between the Lions and the Bears. And boy, how wrong was I? It was fairly <laughs> dreadful. Um, I mean, there, there was a storyline there. But I mean, if the Lions can't beat the Bears, who can they beat? It's really tough to see where the Lions' win is going to come at this point. You know, I think the, the saving grace they got the tie against the Steelers means they won't be the first ever 0-17 team. It's really hard to see if, you know, and, and maybe late on in the season they're going to find a way to get one or two, but it's just they've not they've not been good. They don't have anything at the quarterback position. They don't really have anything at the receiver position. It's just not a good football team. And I do I feel for Dan Campbell a little bit because... I think he's very much doing the best he can. I think he's probably got the toughest job that a head coach has had in the last couple of years with the roster he's got with him. Which is interesting because it leads me to the question that I wanted to ask you. Do you think Dan Campbell gets three or four years in Detroit? Do they just say, look, I don't care how it goes in the next two years. We're going to give you the chance of a couple of draft classes, a couple of free agencies to see what you can do. You know, should they just stick with him? Because I think just, you know, getting rid of him is not going to really do too much good. No, and I think realistically, they probably have to, he probably gets to year three if they show improvement next year. And I think improvement, he probably needs to get to five, maybe six wins and be competitive in another couple of games. Um, if they go into next season and they're a two and 15 team or something like that, I think he probably gets pulled before year three, um, despite the fact that I think he's working up under heavy limitations. Um, but if he can get them to somewhat, you know, show some kind of improvement, um, then I think he's got a good chance of making it to three and four. And of course, the NFL no longer basically allow coaches to trudge through to the end of a season. They, You know, they're pulling the trigger. We're actually seeing this in college football as well. Gordon, you know, programs decide that if a coach is done, they're done there and then, and they don't really get to see out the season. I mean, I know, you know, Oregon at LSU is getting to see out the season, but that's that's rare now. We're seeing coaches being fired much more often, and I'm not really sure what the benefit is of, of pinging a coach early uh, just to have some backup come in because, you know, your preferred new guy ain't going to be in the building, you know, within a week or two. Yeah, and, you know, there's an element of you get a little bit of a head start in terms of you can start looking at candidates, but if you do what some of the college teams have done and say, look, we're not, we're not going to be carrying on with you beyond this year, you know, maybe it's one of those things that you worry about how players are going to respond to a coach that's not going to be there next year, especially in the NFL. Um but a lot of times what they wind up doing is just the, the guy who takes over for four or five games is the guy who 
has been a failed NFL head coach somewhere else, and he's now mm. you know, the offensive advisor. So you give him the job for for five weeks, and you know, how does that overly help the team at any point in time? It uh, doesn't overly help. So let's just round up Thanksgiving. Apparently the Bills beat the Saints 31-6. Didn't see it, <laughs> I have to confess. I did listen to it. I listened to the game. Mike Hoss is the new voice of the Saints in his first season. Uh, terrific broadcaster. Really enjoying listening to him, although it was a terrible game for the Saints. Nice from a Bills perspective to see, you know, Alan throwing for four touchdowns. He's He's been a little bit up and down, Josh Allen. Yeah, he's been up and down. And that, that was a game that, I quipped in the NFL Scotland chat the following day. It's the type of game that rather than game pass having game in 40, I wish they just had game in 20 and we could have just skipped the Saints entire offense because <laughs> there was only really one offense in that game. And I think that's probably why the Saints are making the change. They're making a quarterback this week. Yeah, I mean, I think Trevor Simeon has shown exactly what he is. He's a guy that you can come in, he can win you a game uh, coming in off the bench. He's a reliable guy for a week or two, but he's certainly not a full-time starter. The best pick of the games before we go into the, the belters was the Raiders Cowboys and the Cowboys looked like they'd found a way to you know get past the Raiders but you've got to give the Raiders an awful lot of credit they won it in overtime yeah and the Raiders continue to be a little bit better than people thought they were going to be this year which uh, I think especially given you know the coaching change they had to make early in the season um, is a testament to the players they have there I think Guys like Hunter Renfro really stepped up this week. He, I think he had a career game um, against the Cowboys. And, you know, they're finding ways to win. And they look like a team that should be there or thereabouts when the playoffs come around. And the way the AFC playoffs are set up, I don't think anyone in the AFC is going to want to play anyone else in the AFC because everyone's so up and down. So it's the type of season where if you get in, then maybe you can make some noise. Consistency is really only inconsistency in the AFC. <laughs> Let's have a little look at our belters. And, well, look, Leonard Fournette gets an awful lot of love here, Gordon. Chris Mackay, touchdowns, he says. Turned this backfield into his own after being at a cluster something or other for so long. Alex Beaton agrees. Belter of the week is Leonard Fournette. Absolutely no doubt. Stephen Anderson carrying the bucks. Rushing for three, receiving for one, outperforming Taylor by a mile. So he's been a very popular choice. Lord Callahan, our Cowboys fan playoff. Lenny was a big reason the Bucks were able to get back into the game and eventually pull out the win over a very dangerous Colts team. I actually thought it was a really good game. Ross Taylor uh, agrees with Leonard Fournette, David Brown, Chris Bean, Sean Purvis, Ross Sterling. Loads of love, John Blair, Graham Muncy as well. Graham Muncy, playoff Lenny becomes Week 12 Lenny which I quite like. I don't know if you'd ever want the nickname Week 12, but uh, it certainly was an impressive performance. I actually thought it was one of the better games I've seen in a while as well. It was good fun. Yeah, it was nice and back and forth. You know, um, it, it was uh, it was good to see the, the Bucks be tested and find a way to rally um, uh, and come back in that game because they haven't looked quite as good as they did uh, throughout last season in the Super Bowl year. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see them kind of showing that and making it look like they're capable of being the team in the NFC again. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed that game. So some of the other nominations we've got, Johnny Bailey nominates the New York Jets to finally get a win and Zach Wilson looked okay. I'm not sure what your telly was showing, Johnny, but he did look okay when I was watching <laughs> him. But I, I, I get where you're, you're coming from. Brian Mill, Marvin Jones Jr., wonderful one-handed catch, Phil Spears, talking about Andrews, what a catch, just about one-handed, falling back while being interfered with he says that's not my words that's how it was broadcast I think you've all, 
you know, you've got to be careful with the use of the word interference, that's for sure. Sean Black, the Bengals' defence, absolutely rampant, must be so disappointed they gave a touchdown at the end of the game. If they're legit good, the Bengals become very interesting down the stretch, I agree. Paddy Kelly staying with the Bengals, Joe Mixon again, he puts up amazing numbers behind a pretty terrible O-line. Bengals could really become a long-term force if they continue to draft and use free agency well. It is nice to see a little bit of love for the Bengals. It doesn't always happen. They're one of these teams I don't think anybody dislikes particularly much, but they never seem to always bring much to the party. The I think this is the first time in my American football watching life, which is, God, about 20 years now, which is making me feel old, that the Bengals look like a legitimately good football team. The other times when Marvin Lewis was able to kind of drag them to the playoffs, they looked like a team that, could get to the playoffs, not really look like a Super Bowl team. I think there was one year, the year Carson Palmer got hurt in a playoff game against the Steelers. Outside of that, they've never really been there. But this team's good on defense. They can run the ball. Joe Burrow's good. They've got talent at wide receiver. Jamar Chase has been slowed the last couple of weeks, and T. Higgins stepped up with over 100 yards this week. So they're a team that have now battered the two teams who have been the AFC North stalwarts for over a decade now. And yeah. they have absolutely hammered them this season in two games so far. So I, I think it's it's really encouraging for the Bengals for this season, because I think especially with the way the AFC is, they can be a threat there. But also Joe Burrow's got another three years remaining in his rookie contract after this. That, that's a team that can make some noise for the next three years. Yeah, I was very impressed. The Steelers didn't look good whatsoever. Their touchdown coming in the fourth quarter. I mean, I remember vaguely the Bengals being decent. They did have a Super Bowl. Uh, was it Icky Woods? The Icky Shuffle um, was famous for that. But I'm sure they would like to move on from that and find a, a new identity. Uh, Mark McEwen, two up. Best game yet for the Dolphins. Can he keep it going? I love watching a Southpaw quarterback, but I'm not convinced as yet, I have to say. Gary May was another one for Joe Mixon. Tomo, the Miami... Uh, block punt return touchdowns are a thing of beauty. I had the three interceptions of five sacks. It was a great performance. Plus, on a weekend where defences were about as much as a snooze button on a smoke alarm, they stood out. So uh, Miami did special teams from Tom. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, did, I did love that. The, the blocked punt was one of my favourite touchdowns of the weekend. Not because it was a blocked punt touchdown, but like he recovered the ball outside the end zone and the team just basically dragged him over the line I think. so <laughs> it was uh that was really cool yeah i mean the panthers dropping there if dolphins fourth straight win so and i mean two it was nearly flawless statistically cam newton was probably his worst day uh yeah. as a quarterback in a long long time and that's that's gonna happen he's, he's certainly rusty i don't think there was any doubt about that just before I, I read out david nichols one i mean the titans patriots game which which is connected to i know the titans are banged up but i was slightly surprised at how easy the patriots found it yeah it's tough to tell if it's Things catching up with the Titans. Um, Ryan Tannehill has not looked as good since Derrick Henry went out, whether or not that's yep. directly related or it's just, you know, that's the way it's been the last couple of weeks. But also the Patriots do look very good, especially on defence. Uh, a lot of the pieces they added this offseason, you know, Matt Judon, players like that, really stepping up and making a big impact for them. And in typical Bill Belichick fashion, he gets a first-round rookie quarterback, 
and the guy has stepped in and looks like he'll be their quarterback for the next decade. So the, the Patriots had their one year where they were down and they now very much look like they're going to compete in the AFC again for the next few years. So uh, it's business as usual in Foxborough. Yeah, and David Nicholl agrees with you. New England Patriots gets the, the Belter nominations are Loch Lomond malt whiskey belter nomination six in a row now brushing teams away with these when tom brady left everyone assumed that the evil empire had crumbled and now it appears it's only taken a couple of years to assume dominance once again over the afc and in fact over the galaxy as well david if we're going with the star wars analogies <laughs> yeah you, you you're take you're taking things over again i fully appreciate that they're they're not always a lovable team they, they do get a bit of stick stephen bell bill belichick gave the afc last year off i thought was really good uh, to get beaten by brady again while he plans to take over Again, I, I did quite like that, I must admit. It, it, it is interesting. This, this is a big year for Bill Belichick. He needs to, you know, I don't think he needs to prove anything to anybody, but if he can win a Super Bowl with somebody that's not Brady, and certainly, you know, with a first-year quarterback in Mike Jones, that would be astounding. Yeah, I, I don't even necessarily think he has to win the Super Bowl. If he can get this team with a rookie Mac Jones at quarterback to the AFC Championship game, I think that goes a long way to rubbishing what we saw last year, which was, look, Brady goes and wins the Super Bowl because, let's be honest, the Bucks team had a superstar offense around Brady, and Brady was fantastic with that. But it's not like Brady was elevating something, you know, beyond what was there, um, beyond what he's capable of doing, sorry. Uh, yeah. Whereas Bill Belichick this year, taking a rookie quarterback, you know, looks like a team that can compete in the AFC I think it's a reminder that it was not all Brady uh, in New England all those years. And I think that's the that's the one takeaway that I always had during those Patriots years. Everyone wanted to argue who's more important. Is it Belichick or Brady? This, that, and the next thing. And I think the most reasonable outcome, or the most reasonable hypothesis, is it was both. And the reason why they won seven Super Bowls or six Super Bowls in that span was because they were both very good. You've got arguably the greatest head coach of all time, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, you're going to win a lot of Super Bowls. Absolutely. Let's round these out. Kenny Law says, Matt Lafleur never lost two games in a row as a head coach, continues to mastermind wins for the Packers, despite the absolute slate of injuries across the board. He's a handsome man, says Kenny Law. Can't argue with that, really. Uh, David Drivo, Debo Samuel, the wide receiver to running back, continued to be the key playmaker for the 49ers against the Bengals. Sean Breen agreed. Also over 1,000 yards this season, the 49ers version of a Swiss Army knife. He was certainly getting plenty of love. Ian Meriden, Patrick Sertain, the second potential season saving pick six, which also completed the only second ever father-son pick six double which is really pretty good. I liked that one when that came in. Zach Taylor, unheralded coach, got his team playing 30.1 over a long-standing dominant rival to make it three wins in a row against the Steelers. So there's certainly some coaching love going on there. I'm sure there was one other one I was I was trying to pick. Yeah, Martin Blair, Daniel Carson. Uh, Martin, I'm not sure if I should nominate you for the ball bag for this one because I think this is a little bit selfish here. Brilliant performance for the Raiders kicker. Won the game against Dallas, scoring half of the Raiders' points and smashed it on my fantasy team. I think that I, that's where you, you lose out there. I guarantee you 90% or more of the uh, Belter nominations we get for kickers are because it's won someone a fantasy football game. <laughs> <laughs> Usually the way Andrew Reid, Lions fans, for turning up knowing Goff is the starting quarterback of the Detroit Lions. 
I, I do like that. Matthew Stafford, you can take the man out of the Lions, but not the Lions out of the man. Three straight games with a pick six. Uh, Ryan, I take it you're not an LA fan, so we'll, we'll go with that. And Scott Dixon says, Mike Hill, first play after Joe Burrow deceptions, he accepts big, he says, Bin Ben, Big Ben for a pick six. This against his former team after moving to the divisional rival. I did like Mike Hilton's play as well. Gordon, for you, who was your standout for the week? I think there were a load of really good performances. I think you look at what the Bengals have done, you know, what the Patriots have done. It's really tough to see beyond Leonard Fournette and his four touchdowns this week. Um, Absolutely. Anytime a guy, yeah. you know, anytime a guy gets that many touchdowns, it's kind of difficult to not to not have him as the as the builder. And we have Cameron's already picked out the, the winners for our belter and ball bags. And I can tell you our Loch Lomond Malt's belter of the week. Leonard Fournette, congratulations to you, Leonard Fournette. We raise a glass to you for that. And Chris Mackay uh, gets our Loch Lomond bottle of whiskey out of that. So let's go from the good to the little bit more ugly in terms of what happened this week. And our ball bag nomination sponsored by ball bags and uh, you, you've been across our Twitter feed in the last few days you've seen some of the winners displaying their ball bags thankfully uh, it's just a picture taken against a, a bed or something like that and not of the individuals wearing them that we draw the line at that we do not encourage that in any way at all Gordon let's have a look at our ball bags Chris Mackay says Josh Norman punching Thielen in the spine as they were on the ground uh, I'm not going to repeat what Chris calls him. Uh, Johnny Bailey, Carolina Panthers, camp pulled after one of his performance ever. McCaffrey out for the season, single-handedly costing them. Not very good. Phil Spears says, Cam Newton, I'm back. I Back to being an utter toffee, you rocket. Bench for PJ Walker. I don't think Phil, Phil's too too great. Uh, Alex Meaton says, Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell, disastrous to the Lions, totally balls up the timeouts at the end. I was hoping there was a chance to accelerate how we were getting on. Did Dan Campbell make a mess at the end? A, a bit, but I, like I said, I feel a little bit for him because the roster he has around him, I think all he's going to have is the opportunity for you know late game, things like that. So uh, he'll learn as things go on, like he's going to get experience throughout this season. I do I do think we need to talk about the fact that the, the absolute front of Johnny Bailey's nominating any other offensive player for ball bag this week when the Steelers' performance was as it was. That's uh, shots in early this week ahead of the Steelers. Oh, our Raven Steelers, of course, coming up. Brian Milne just staying with the Pittsburgh State. Ben Roethlisberger gets his Bob Ag nomination. He's done, he said. Sean Black, Jalen Rieger, the second last drop, which might have won the game, was not difficult. Could have massive implications. Mark McEwen, Cam Newton, Paddy Kelly, Tristan Hill, the lingering allowed midfield several minutes after the game to cheat shop John Simpson is Pete Cowboy's Bob Baggery. He said another nomination for Cam Newton comes from Stephen Anderson. He's on the bench because he stinks. Tomo says the ultimate ball bag returned in fashion, screaming, I'm back. Didn't like him whatsoever. Gary May says Pete Carroll, the Seattle offense, brutal stuff all round from Seattle. I think it's worth having a little word about Seattle. The Monday night football, I have to, I have to confess, I fell asleep watching it. Now, that would be fine if I was watching it live, but I was actually watching it yesterday afternoon and it just couldn't hold my interest whatsoever. It was not a good game of football. And yeah, the, the Seattle offense having four receptions combined between Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf in a game of football, not, it's not great. Uh, it's not really where you want it to be. 
Russell Wilson isn't playing particularly well just now. Pete Carroll, I don't suspect he's going to be there too much longer. I think there's a relatively high chance that he retires at the end of this season. Yeah, it's not it's not great in Seattle right now. See, I think that's an interesting one. I mean, it's difficult for winning coaches, and Pete Carroll has been a winning coach, to go out on a low. The question is, does he have the appetite for a rebuild? Would Pete Carroll have the appetite to go somewhere else? Uh, you know, give it one more try somewhere else and let somebody else in to Seattle. I think that's a very interesting story. It was quite telling, Gordon, when he came out of his press conference, I think it was last week, he basically had no idea what was going wrong. He's not really sure how to turn this around because he's not used to being in this position. Yeah, and that's that for any coach uh, to have that view at this point in the season doesn't make you feel great about their chances of carrying on into next year, especially when it's a veteran coach who's been around a while. If he doesn't have ideas, I'm not sure you know, how there's going to be much of a future there. I do wonder if, if he doesn't want to be done entirely with coaching, if we do see him take a college job again in the future. But He's, he's of an age, he's well within his rights to decide. I've I've coached my time in the NFL, I've won national championships, I've won Super Bowls. I'm just going to retire and take the plaudits at this point. Yeah, he's got nothing left to prove. It'll just depend on his own drive. Uh, interesting one from David Driver. We talked, touched on the Bucks. Colts being a good game. Choosing to play 26 straight passing plays in the feet first of the Bucks when you have the current number one running back up 17 straight points seems like a bit of a boneheaded decision. I don't think he was too happy with the way uh, that, that Taylor was used in that game. Uh, it, it was slightly questionable, but do we give Frank Reich a pass given the fact he, he has been such a, a decent coach up to this point? Yeah, I mean, early on in the game as well, when Taylor was running, they weren't getting much luck with it. Um, and they put up 31 points, which is not anything to be sniffed at. So I don't necessarily know that it was a, a poor game plan. Um, they ran the ball early. Sorry, they threw the ball early, and then they ran the ball late. And they kind of found success with both. That's the type of game where if you hold the bucks to 10 fewer points, does anyone care about you know your usage of Jonathan Taylor? He still had 16 carries, still had four receptions, so he still got 20 touches um, yeah. out of you know 64 opportunities, I think. So he was still relatively heavily featured. Yeah, I mean to be fair, to be fair to David, he did say that you know he wasn't playing particularly well, but he just wondered about the play calling. Uh, Martin Blair says the Panthers medical team constantly getting McCaffrey back on the field when he's not fit. Uh, David Nicholl nominates Aaron Rodgers. Put your socks back on, your manky fud. Is the is, is the beautiful <laughs> is the beautiful line. Kenny Law says Lamar Jackson just pushed this week, built out by a very good defence. Uh, Cowboys defensive tackle Tristan Hill getting a two-game suspension for punching a Raiders player after the game on Thursday night. Simply no need. That's Long Callahan. Sean Breen nominates. The same player getting into a fight live TV during Thanksgiving is bad enough through a punch and opposition players wearing a helmet is even worse. Uh, David Brown nominates the Colts. He hates Brady. They blew it. Chris Breen, Eagles players called Jalen. Uh, Jalen hurts 14 to 30 or one for 129. Three interceptions could have been four or five. Should he get some good rushing yards, but total ball bags. Sean Purfus, Jalen Rager, two drops last minute of a divisional game and a must-win game against the goddamn awful Giants team. So there's a bit of <laughs> a bit of hate for the Eagles today. Uh, Kevin Stefanski 
Ross Sterling says, choosing if Baker throw the ball in a one-score game is baffling. You've one of the best O-lines of the game and have belt of a one-two punch at running back. <laughs> is it, you know, was Browns that the right the call? Well, the, the, Browns, no, they, like, they, the Ravens yeah. shut that running game down, so it's not... And interestingly as well, Nick Chubb, for as good as he's been as a runner, I saw a stat earlier this week, and it's something like three out of his four worst statistical games on average have come against the Ravens. Whatever it is about what the Ravens do against that Browns running game, they have found ways to shut it down um, in the past. So, you know, again, it's a little bit similar to uh, what it was for the Ravens on offense. It was kind of one of those weird nights where there was a lot of turnovers that didn't really understand what they were doing at the time. Lamar Jackson had two or three interceptions whereby you were just like, I don't know where you were throwing that. Baker Mayfield had fumbles whereby you were wondering what he was doing in the pocket, all those sorts of things. I think the Browns are in a tough spot just now, uh, just given how banged up Baker Mayfield is. And, you know, Case Keenum, I don't think, is a a viable option either. So they're in a really tough spot, but the running game wasn't working. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't think the running game was, was working. More nominations. Scott McKenzie, Stephen Bryson, John Blair, all for Cam Newton. Stephen saying he got to wear a silly hat to the press conference, so not all bad, perhaps. Uh, John Blair said he should have stuck to watching the games on the telly. So it might be a little bit harsh. Graham Miller, uh, Jalen Rager, uh, many choose for an NFL wide receiver has to catch those targets, which allowed Eagles to sneak the win, Graham Quite right, we've mentioned him already. Ian Meredith and Stephen Bell, Kirk Cousins, lining up under the right guard and a lack of intimate <laughs> knowledge of his centre's bum cheeks, says Stephen Bell, which 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 is which is pretty good. Ryan McCluskey, Cameron Christie, both say Cam Newton as well. Tim Boyle gets a shout as well. Tim Boyle and Cam Newton, you can add up the recent PFF grades on two hands nearly. Scott Dixon says TJ Watt got frustrated that the Bengals were destroying the Steelers so much so he threw Joe Burrow to the ground. All week it was hyped. Uh, the reason they lost previously was missing. He'd done nothing in the game. And Andrew Reid mentions the referees. Too many holding calls creating stop-start games. The, the call that annoyed me this week uh, was the onside kick by Seattle against Washington, which they recovered. And they got done for an illegal formation because the guy was standing, I think, about a yard to the wrong side of the hash mark. I, I think to your average fan, Gordon, I mean, the illegal formation, if you're out by a yard when you're all lined up, all in a line. Now, I know it's been done to make sure that they don't stack certain areas and make these these plays safer, but that looked a little bit naff to me. I don't know what your take was. I've often wondered if those things, like an illegal formation, whether or not the first protocol should actually be an official saying at the time, like, you're not lined up correctly. You'll, so yeah. they do, for some of the illegal formation stuff when it comes to receivers being uh, on the line of scrimmage and all those things the receiver will line up and he'll look to the official to just check like am I on I'm on the line of scrimmage and the official will give him a nod do wonder if stuff like that with the onside kicks and kickoffs if there shouldn't be an official there that's like you need to go a yard this way you're not but you know maybe then they would spend a lot of their time doing that because players would then go to the closest point they can get to and try and get away with it so maybe the officials are just trying to do the rest there yeah, I, I just thought it was a really bad look. I think, you know, your average fan would have looked at that formation and thought there was nothing wrong with it. Credit to the Monday Night Football team uh, for explaining it very well indeed. So plenty of nominations this week for Bob Banks. Uh, who catches your eye? 
So I'm going to go away from the NFL and into college where we've seen coaches leave this week. Some very high-profile coaches uh, have taken new jobs. And all along we've heard, or all heading into this season, we heard about how bad players being able to earn money on their likeness was going to be for college football. We've heard how bad it is that players can transfer to other schools, even though a lot of times they have to sit out for a year. High-paid coaches can go into a 17-year-old's house, sell them on coming to the university for four years, sell playing without being paid money. You know, In most cases, they'll get a scholarship, but sometimes players are walk-ons and don't. Go through all practice, all those things, and the coach can turn around and in some cases this week, give a seven-minute address to the team to say, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm taking a new job. It's paying me more money. I get to fly a private jet. Now, see you guys later. And that, to me, is Bob Ag behavior. I'm absolutely with you. I mean, we don't touch often on the college game on on the NFL Scotland podcast, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Brian Kelly's leaving after 12 years at Notre Dame. He's going elsewhere. He's going to LSU. Uh, Lane Kiffin's moving. It, it just seems to me you shouldn't do it before the bowl, the bowl games and the playoff games. I think that just shows great disrespect to your team. You know, you work hard all year. You know, the aim is to, you know, to finish as high as you can, to earn a bowl placement, and these guys can't even stick around for that. So even if the deal is done, you know, keep it under wraps and, and coach out the season. I think that it really is. It's a horrible look, but you do mention it that I, I just, I don't understand how the, the rules are allowing coaches to do this. Um, if you want to stop it, legislate it out that if you sign, you cannot re-sign for another college until the start of the calendar year or something like that. They may have to legislate this out. While we're talking quickly about college football, what about David Ajabo at the weekend for Michigan? I mean, utterly outstanding stuff. Yeah, he, he has formed a, an amazing partnership with uh, Hutchison and that Michigan defensive line both of them have taken that team to places that they literally haven't been in uh, in Jim Harbaugh's era there uh, winning against Ohio State is something that has eluded that team and I think how Brady said on, a, on one of his podcasts he's really happy for the seniors there because they get to go out with a win like that so um, guys like Ojabo and Hutchison up front have just you know they, they were the reason why Michigan this season has been able to, to drive on and why there's a very good chance that, that, you know, as long as they can win this week, that they're going to be in the college football playoff. Yeah, and when you think about it, I mean, Michigan recruiting um, somebody like David Ajabo didn't play uh, until sort of late high school and got all these offers, a lot of them simply based on his height and his athleticism. But, I mean, the credit that, I think has to be given to David is the way that he's just taken to the game and learned it and understand it. You know, it's been a rapid rise for him. And it's a really tough sport to learn. You know, we see rugby players transition from rugby to the NFL and, you know, they'll go through a preseason, they'll go on a practice squad for a year. Even then it's very difficult. And that's picking up a position like running back because there's things like all the blocking assignments and all those things for, for David Ojabo to go with, you know, limited American football experience, go to University of Michigan and develop into an NFL caliber talent. Uh, I think one speaks to the incredible athlete that he is, but that also requires an, an awful lot of work and dedication because it is not an easy sport to pick up. There's a, a lot of things you have to learn. 
even things a lot of times I think people think pass rushers it's just about beat the guy in front of you but you have to study how you're going to beat that guy you have to know you know does he set himself a little bit further back that you can cut inside him all those things it's a it's a position that requires a lot of dedication to your craft and anyone that can be successful at that level um I, I think has done a tremendous job I agree. It was on Radio Scotland's Thought for the Day this morning. I used David Ajambo as my story. So if you want to check that out, go on to Radio Scotland and listen again. David Ajambo doing a good job. We were talking about the ball bags, ball bag. Martin Blair, you've won it this week. The Panthers medical team for the mishandling of McCaffrey. So Christian McCaffrey banged up. and That will allow you to have a pair of ball bags. They're on their way to you. So for the time that we've got left, we're going to have a quick look ahead to the games this week. There's apparently one tonight, as we record on Thursday night, Cowboys against Saints. Taysom Hill gets the chance to step in. You know, for, for all, all the laughs that we've, we've had about this, this, he's got a big contract. Taysom Hill will be the Saints' Swiss Army knife next season, is my prediction, because I don't think this, this run of games is going to make any difference to him. Um, I'm not sure really that he's going to prove that he's an NFL quarterback. No, and I think the contract the Saints gave him was very much a case of what you do as an all-round player we think is valuable to us. If, under certain circumstances, you become our starting quarterback and you deliver, you will be paid like a starting NFL quarterback. Um, I do think, though, given the other players at the position, so given the fact it's him or Trevor Simeon, he gives the Saints the best chance to win this game. You know, you can become the seventh seed in, in the playoffs this it, nowadays without having to, technically without having to have a winning record. So the Saints can absolutely get into the playoffs with a Taysom Hill, or a running game based around Taysom Hill. We saw the Ravens do it in Lamar Jackson's rookie year. You know, we know... Hill is talented as a runner and as an athlete. And he's not awful as a passer. Like, this is not Tim Tebow at quarterback. So it's something that I think the Saints can have success with. Uh, you know, if they can find four wins in the final six weeks of the season, five weeks of the season, then, you know, maybe they are a playoff team. Yeah, I don't think it's particularly out of the question they can do that. I mean, they're not in a strong division this year. You know, we wonder if the Panthers would come and have a little run. They're not appearing to do so. Let's just run through the slate of games. Stop me, Gordon, when you come to one that you're excited by. Uh, the Buccaneers-Falcons, the Cardinals-Bears, the Chargers-Bengals. I wonder yes, if you just pause there. That's a very exciting game. I, and so here's the thing. The NFL flexed uh, the... Broncos Chiefs, I think it was, to get Patrick Mahomes in prime time. I understand why. I understand more people will probably tune in to watch the Broncos, who are a long-standing team, and Patrick Mahomes. This, for me, is probably the game of the week. Two young quarterbacks who are playing really well, two offences that are playing really well, uh, a really exciting young coach in Brandon Staley, a Chargers team that you know, are... are they probably need to win a little bit more because they're starting to flounder a little bit. A Bengals team that realistically is still in the hunt to be the number one seed in the conference. It's just an all-round really good game with a lot of very good players on the field. And yeah, I'm glad we get to watch it because it's 6pm our time, which means that we don't need to wait to stay up and 
you know, I'll try and <laughs> stay through the night to watch it. I, I just think it has the potential to be a very good football game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that it, it's certainly interesting. And it's unusual to flex out a game with two teams with winning records. Um, you know, the Chargers currently six and five, Bengals seven and four. So that is unusual. The Vikings Lions, I don't think we'll be troubling Game Pass too much with that one. The Giants against the Dolphins. Dolphins having won, you know, four in a row. They've got a chance against the Giants here just to quietly build, but you know, the Bills and Patriots are in their way. But I think the Dolphins need to win games like this. Yeah, and and, and again, I'll, I'll harp on about the seventh seed thing again. The Dolphins, if they can win this game, starting to become a factor potentially for number seven in the AFC. Um, and we saw, you know, they absolutely dominated the Ravens on Thursday night a couple of weeks ago. They dominated the Panthers. You know, Panthers obviously not going to make much noise in the NFL this season, but if they can go and beat the Giants this week, they're right in the thick of it in that race for the final AFC playoff spot. So... The, the website I'm using to go through all of these games gives you the over-under. It actually gives you also the ticket prices as well, availability. Chargers Bengals tickets are available for as low as $22, which is quite incredible. When you take the, the Giants Dolphins, of course, there's a big New York contingent down in Florida. They're, they're starting out at $75. Uh, Colts Texans you can get for as low as $8, um, which which did make me smile somewhat. Uh, the, the Colts should be too strong for the Texans. Here's an interesting game. Washington against the Raiders. Five minus nine on Fox. Tickets as low as $131. Um, the Raiders are a popular team to go and watch. Raiders at six and five. Washington five and six. Both, you know, hanging around in that, that playoff hunt. Both coming off decent wins. Yeah, I think Washington have been really tough to beat. Uh, the way Antonio Gibson's played, you know, they're running the ball very well with him. It's kind of difficult. Some of the wins they've had haven't exactly been against top-tier opposition. The Seahawks that on Monday night, you know, I don't think they've, I don't think the football team played particularly well. But there is something to going on, like a little win and run in the NFL. If you can keep stacking those wins, then again, you put yourself in position to make a run late in the year. And I think both of these teams, Washington definitely need it more. Um, but the Raiders, again, the AFC is very tough, so if they can get another win, get themselves to seven and five, keeps them in the race for the AFC West as well as the the wild card hunt. Yeah, because the Broncos Chiefs, one of them will obviously lose. Broncos six and five, Chiefs seven and four. That's Monday night football. You get tickets for as low as one hundred and four dollars to go to Arrowhead Stadium to finish out the slate. Jaguars against the Rams, the Ravens, Steelers, and the 49ers, Seahawks. 49ers, Seahawks is usually. A good tussle, but the Seahawks, well, they basically stink at the moment. The Steelers got to look to bounce back against the Ravens. The Ravens have made their way to eight and three. Steelers need this one an awful lot more. And when you've just been, you know, thumped up and down the field by a rival, uh, you've got to look. And Mike Tomlin's been there before, Gordon. I mean, I would probably possibly, if it was any other coach, but Mike Tomlin needs to get his hand on these Steelers and see what they can do. Yeah, I think both of those games are games where in previous years, if both teams had really good records, you would be seeing them be flexed to Sunday Night Football. Ravens, Steelers, when both teams are good, an electric affair on prime time. Uh, 49ers, Seahawks obviously have some huge barn burners over the years. The thing I would say about both those games, though, is that just because one or both teams aren't playing particularly well or aren't doing as well as in previous years, they're usually games that are still pretty feisty. And 
as bad as the Steelers have been this year, as much as the Ravens are 8-3, if you had to ask me to pick, I'd say that game probably winds up three points either way. Um, it usually does. It, it's very rare that either the Ravens or the Steelers blow out the other team. Um, the way the Ravens have played on offense the last couple of weeks, I don't know that they're going to score that many points against the Steelers, at which point the defense has to keep the Steelers probably under 20 points. Um, and I think... You know, I think the 49ers probably are too strong for the Seahawks, especially with the way that offense has developed. Um, but I think both have the potential to be better games than we, you know, they're kind of getting the love for just now. Yeah, I agree. We mentioned the Broncos and the Chiefs. That's going to be a good one on Sunday night football. Monday night football, the Patriots at the Bills. Now, there's an interesting matchup. You know, Bills winning last week, the Patriots winning well as well. Highmark Stadium, as it's now called, in Orchard Park, New York. Uh, I think that's going to be one worth a little spin through on Tuesday morning. I think so, yeah. I think it's weird. We, we talked about it earlier, you know, the, the comment that someone had sent in about Bill Belichick giving the AFC a year off to let them try and uh, do something. Very much true in the AFC East. Patriots weren't a threat last year. The Bills were able to romp to that division, get into the playoffs, make some noise, get all the way to the AFC title game. They are now faced with a Patriots team that are a formidable foe again. So which Josh Allen are we going to see? Can the Patriots defense force him into the mistakes that we've seen from him? Or is he going to be the player who has bounced back from adversity numerous times this season? And they have the players on offense to cause the Patriots defense serious problems. They've got the players on defense that can cause the Patriots' offense problems. It's what it feels like the type of game that if the Bills want to establish themselves as a force in the AFC this year, they have to have. If you lose that game, all of a sudden they're they're staring down the barrel of having to go on the road in the playoffs. Buffalo's not the type of place I would want to go. So if I was them, I'd be really looking to to get a division win at least, so that you're hosting one game. Yeah, the Patriots would move to nine and four. The Bills would drop to seven and five. So a really, really big game on Monday night. On the bye week, the Browns, the Packers, the Titans, and the Panthers. And that's probably no bad thing just to give the Browns, the Titans, and Panthers in particular a chance to try and recover, recuperate, because they do have an awful lot of injuries. The Packers, well, Aaron Rodgers, just sit back, peel the socks off, kick the feet up. <laughs> <laughs> and just relax. Uh, Aaron Rodgers continues to to make the season interesting, Gordon. The latest, you know, showing off his feet and things like that. Slightly bizarre, but uh, I think we're getting used to slightly bizarre things this season. Just one of those things where, like, you saw people, I saw people talking about it on Twitter before I saw the picture and just assumed people were making something up. And then I saw the picture and was like, nope, there he is, showing off his toe. <laughs> Well, if Russell Wilson can show off his finger, Aaron Rodgers can show <laughs> off his toe. Gordon, thanks very much. It's been good company on the NFL Scotland podcast, episode 172. I hope you've enjoyed our wander through the Loch Lomond Malts Belter, the ball bags, ball bags, and our thoughts on the games coming up. We'll be back next week with our take on all things NFL from a Scotland perspective. But from myself, Gordon, all the team, thanks for listening. Bye for now.